Okay. In this week's Parsha, we finally come to the actualization of what we have been discussing in the previous few Parshiot, and that is that we come to the building of the Mishkan. Then in Parshiot Truma and Tzitzave, we were talking about how to build the Mishkan. We received the instructions as to how to build the Kalim, how to build the structure. And now in this week's Parsha, we dive into the actual construction of the Mishkan. And in Shemot Parak Lamed Vav, a little bit into the Parsha, we learn about a situation that arises. All of the men who were doing the work, they each came from their work. They said to Moshe, they said, we have a situation, B'nai Israel have volunteered and they have brought too much stuff. Hashem gave us a certain amount that we would need in order to construct the Mishkan, and they have gone above and beyond. We have too many materials. We need B'nai Israel to stop. Moshe got up and he said, enough, enough, thank you so much for your generosity, please do not give any more. And I can guarantee that this was the last Jewish leader that ever said, please stop giving, stop giving. We know today you'll have these campaigns and there's a bonus round and another bonus round and another bonus round. And if you want to give, there is always an opportunity. But here Moshe says, stop, enough, we have too much stuff, we don't want to take any more. And the nation has stopped from giving. And this is the Pasuk that we are going to focus on. It says, The work was sufficient. They had sufficient amount to build everything. And they had extra. So I have a few questions here. First of all, was it sufficient or was it extra? It says that the malacha haita diyam, the work, the materials were sufficient, vehotar, and extra. It can't both be extra and sufficient at the same time. Why do we have that contradiction? Okay, so if you're going to say that it was sufficient, our question is, why does it say hotar and extra? But if you're going to say, no, there really was extra, it was sufficient plus more, there was also extra above what was sufficient, the question we can ask is, but we already know that. Because two second before, all the workers came to Moshe and says, we have too much. So we already know there was extra, because Moshe had to tell them to stop, so we can understand that there was extra. So each of these pieces together come to teach us that we have something is going on in these second. Is it sufficient? Is it extra? If it's extra, why are we told that twice? What is going on here? And I want to look at two different Mepharshim who try to tackle this question. The first is the Sforno. And the Sforno says, La sototah vehotar. La hamalacha vehotir. What does this mean? They had enough to complete the work vehotir and to leave over. I don't know how anyone else cooks, but I'm not exactly such a great recipe follower. I'm also not so good at making sure that I have the right ingredients in the house. 
So sometimes I'll get to make a recipe and I'll see that I have exactly the right amount of eggs and I have what seems to be the right amount of flour and I thought there was more vanilla left in the bottle, but there isn't. And so when I'm going through the recipe, I'm measuring exactly, 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 and maybe even cutting corners a little bit because I don't exactly have enough of what I need. The Sforno says, the malach of the Mishkan was not like this. B'nai Yisrael gave enough, not only that it was sufficient, not that they were able to build exactly what they had to, but that they felt comfortable that they could really build everything to its fullest. They didn't feel the need to skimp or cut corners because there was enough material that they knew they were going to have enough. They looked at what they had and they rest assured that they were going to be able to complete the entire task. They didn't have to skimp along the way to make sure that they were going to be able to build the Mishkan. So that's what Sforno says. Is he says it was both sufficient and extra. There was enough extra that it was sufficient. That it wasn't a tremendous amount of leftover, but rather there was enough that they felt that they didn't need to skimp. So it was enough plus a little. The Orachayim, on the other hand, gives us a different approach. The Orachayim says, Diyam v'gomer v'hotar. Him betvarim hafachim. Im diyam ino hotar, v'im hotar ino diyam. The whole first paragraph of the first um, paragraph of the Orachayim restates our question. So we are going to skip down to the second paragraph. Ve'ulai, she'yishmi anu ha'gatub chibat b'nei Yisrael b'inei ha'makum. This Pasuk is telling us about the love of Hashem for Am Yisrael. Ki l'tzad she'hivi Yisrael yoter mishi'or ha'tzarich. Chash Hashem l'chvur kol ish she'tarchu v'hiviu v'nechnas kol ha'mevo b'is Hashem v'malachas ha'meshkan. What happened here? They needed a certain amount. They needed 15 measures of gold and 15 measures of silver and 15 measures of argaman and everything was prescribed exactly what they needed. So everyone comes and they bring what they have. But these were not easy things to volunteer. This wasn't sending a quick Venmo payment. This was schlepping. They had to go home and they had to schlep these blocks of silver and gold and precious metals and precious stones and heavy fabrics. This was not only... Was it generous of them? And did it show that they wanted to be part of the building of Beis Hashem? But it was a terichah. They literally had to schlep these things. And Hashem was cognizant of how it would affect their kavod if Hashem did not accept some of the donations. If they cut it off and they said, you know, we really, we collected too much, so we're just going to keep the extra over there. It'll be in the storage closet. If anything ever needs to be repaired, we'll make sure to check over there. That would not have been kavod to B'nai Israel. That would not have shown how much Hashem appreciated that B'nai Israel donated to this cause. Therefore, Hashem made a miracle. Hashem made a miracle. Usually when you have a recipe that says you need one cup of this and two cups of this and one tablespoon of this and one teaspoon of this. If you have three cups of flour, they're not going to all make it into the recipe. I'm good enough at following recipes to know that. To know that when it says two cups, you will not have three cups included in the recipe. However, Hashem made a miracle when it came to the Mishkan. And Hashem said, Everyone was so generous and they schlepped out and they went through this tircha, this laborious process of donating to the Mishkan. And they cared to be a part in building Beis Hashem. 
I'm going to make a miracle that everything they donated is going to be used in the Mishkan. So the Orachayim says there's two sides here. There's what Hashem actually required for the building of the Mishkan, and there was the amount that ended up being included in that building of the Mishkan. And this was via Nis, that Hashem wanted to give Kavu to B'nai Israel to show his appreciation and his love for Am Israel, and therefore everything that was donated, even though Vehotar, even though it was extra, it became exactly what was sufficient. It all was able to be included in the building of the Mishkan. So we have that conversation. Let's take that and let's put it in the side of our minds. This whole conversation of what does it mean? It was sufficient and it was extra. So let's put that to the side of our minds. Elsewhere in this week's parsha, we learn about the commandment to keep Shabbos. We had in the Asar Hadibru, Zachor Yom Shabbos Kacho, we know the basic concept of Shabbos, that for six days we work, and for seven, on the seventh day we rest. However, in this week's parsha, we receive in greater detail what it means to keep Shabbos. The Mepharshim asks, why is this explanation of what it means to keep Shabbos, why is this directly juxtaposed to the building of the Mishkan, because it is meant to teach us that everything they did to build the Mishkan is exactly what is Asar on Shabbos, that we have the Lamitem, Lachot, the 39 categories of Yisurim on Shabbos, are directly brought down from what they did to build the Mishkan. So we have this discussion of the Halachot of Shabbos, and in Shemot Lamed, Hey Pasuk Bet, we see Sheishas Yamim Ta'asam Kodesh. Shabbat Shabbaton Lahashem Kol Haosebo Melacha Yumach. So I have a few questions here. Sheishes Yemim Tasem Melacha Biyom Hashvii Yehiyel Lachem Kodesh. This phrase seems strange. Usually we have Kodesh Yehiyel Lachem. It's usually reversed. Also we have Shabbat Shabbaton. We have a double language, and every time we have a double language, it calls to our attention that there must be something significant here. That it doesn't just say, Kodesh Yelachem, Shabbos Lashem Elokecha. There is this Yelachem Kodesh, this reversal of the order of the phrase that we are used to. And there is also a double language, Shabbat Shabbatum. Both of these questions are delved into by the Mepharshim. And the first that we are going to look at is that of the Malvim. The Malvim explains to us, Yelachem Kodesh. Why does it say specifically Yelachem Kodesh? When it comes to the Mo'adim, to the holidays, it, it always says, It should be called holy and it should be holy for you. And when it comes to Shabbos, it always says, It is holy to Hashem. Why this discrepancy? Why when it comes to the Mo'adim does it say, And by Shabbos it says, Kodesh Ula Hashem. Why is there this difference? And this can be explained based on the understanding that we have in Judaism that there are two types of Kedusha. There is Kedusha, and as it is called in Hasidus, Isarusa Dileila. It is divinely inspired Kedusha. We also have Isarusa Dilatata. We have Kedusha that comes from below. In other words, there are things that are imbued with an inherent Kedusha from Hashem, that Hashem makes them holy, regardless of the fact whether or not we 
recognize this Kedusha, whether we observe this Kedusha, whether there's actually anyone involved in this Kedusha, that item, that day, that time is inherently holy. And Shabbos is one of those times. That Shabbos is divinely inspired Kedusha. That whether or not we recognize the fact that it is Shabbos, whether or not we observe Shabbos, Shabbos is inherently holy. There is the Kedusha's Hazman, that when sundown on Friday comes, we have a special Kedusha in the world, the Kedusha of Shabbos, until Shabbos leaves on Motzei Shabbos on Saturday night. However, the Mo'adim are different. The Mo'adim, as it says in the Mavim, Kiya Mo'adim Tzuyim B'Kiddush Beistin, the Shabbos M'Kudash Me'atzmo. Shabbos is sanctified from itself, but the Mo'adim, the holidays, are reliant upon Kiddush Beistin. The Beistin has to sanctify the holidays. What does that mean? Based on when individuals would see the moon and would go to the Beistin and they would declare Rosh Chodesh, based on our declaration of Rosh Chodesh, will define when we are going to have that holiday that we don't know what day Pesach will fall out until we declare Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And we don't know when Yom Kippur will fall out until we declare Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, otherwise known as Rosh Hashanah. So when we decide when Rosh Hashanah is, we then know when Yom Kippur will be, and we then know when Sukkot will be. There is always the possibility that we did not declare Rosh Chodesh on the proper day, and therefore the holidays would not fall out exactly when they were meant to. But it doesn't matter. Because the holiness of the holidays comes from us, not directly from Hashem. That if we do not declare that day a Yom Tov, there is no inherent Kedusha to that day. The same is not true for Shabbos, even if we don't recognize Shabbos, even if we don't know that it is Shabbos, there is an inherent Kedusha to that day. So the Malvin tells us that this is the discrepancy. However, there are two places, and it says, so what is the Malvin telling us? That here, it specifically gives us the line of Kodesh, of Yehiyelachem um, Kodesh. It should be holy for you. That even if there is a situation in which the Kodesh is truly whole, that this is not really a day that hasn't been imbued with this holiness. This is really a day that is whole. If, though, however, there is another situation that this is a day where you are doing you are engaged in something that is you have to make this day, quote-unquote, into you should recognize that even if you have to, if you are forced to desecrate this day, if you are forced to do something else that we know that Hashem wants us to do on that day, but you feel like you have now desecrated the day, you have made this day into chol, Hashem is saying, kodesh. it can still be holy for you. That you are still able to define whether or not this day is holy. That yes, Hashem gives over an inherent kedusha to Shabbos, but there is still an element of us deciding whether or not this day is going to be kodesh or chol for us whether or not we are going to recognize the Kedusha of that day, whether or not even if we feel like the day is whole, we are going to be Mekadesh that day. So the Malbim is saying, Hashem wants to teach us that sometimes there are different types of situations that come up.
and recognize that even though Hashem is the one that gives holiness to Shabbos, without us there, it is in our power to decide whether or not that, that Shabbos is going to feel Kodesh to us. The Adarat Eliyahu, Rav Yosef Chaim, gives us a very interesting situation in which we can have this situation of Shabbos feeling like Chol, or Chol becoming Shabbos. So the Adarat Eliyahu, he is addressing the fact that there is this Kefal Hashem, this double language. So there's this double language, and it would have been enough to just say Shabbat Lahashem. The Adarat Aliyah always bring us a fascinating case from the Shulchan Aruch. A person is lost at sea, they arrive on a deserted island, and they don't know when Shabbos is. The Shulchan Aruch tells us what does a person do in that situation. A person counts seven days from the moment at which they recognize that they have forgotten when Shabbos was. They count seven days, and that is their Shabbos. How can that be? More often than not, we are going to run into a situation where the day that they count until is not actually Shabbos. This teaches us that there are two aspects to Shabbos. There is one that is the true essence of Shabbos, Shabbos that Hashem gives the Kedusha. That this is the true seventh day. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, there is this second aspect to Shabbos, which is the Shabbos of the person who is lost. Even in the, in the majority of situations, this second Shabbos, this Shabbos that we count until for the person who is lost, is going to be a day of Chol. They're not actually going to land on Shabbos itself. Rather, this second Shabbos, even though it is Chol Gamor, it is completely a, not a day of Shabbos. Once the person makes Kiddush and makes Havdalah, that day has become Shabbos as well. That they have been able to be Mekadesh this day. So through making Kiddush and Havdalah, we can add our own level of Kiddush. We can add the Kedusha of this second Shabbos to our original Shabbos. That Shabbos may have been imbued with this inherent Kedusha from Hashem, but when we make Kiddush and Havdalah, we are fulfilling, we are maximizing the Kedusha of this Shabbos. However, I have a question. This seems strange. Kiddush and Havdalah are not extras. Kiddush and Havdalah are what we have to do as part of the regular requirements of Shabbos. 
that any regular Shabbos requires us to make Kiddush and Havdalah as part of it. So it's not that Kiddush and Havdalah are this extra thing that we do that adds an extra layer of Kedusha. These are basic requirements of Shabbos. We must make Kiddush. We must make Havdalah. This is part and parcel of what comes with observing a Shabbos. Why does it seem to make it sound that making Kiddush and Havdalah are in some way extra, that they are adding to the Kedusha? And I think that based on these two based on these two topics that we discussed, the topic of Hamalacha Diyam, the work was sufficient, Vehutar and extra, and this question that we have here of how can it be that it seems that making Kiddush and Havdalah is extra? Isn't that just part of a regular Shabbos? Isn't that what we do naturally as part of Shabbos in order to get us to the baseline of Kedusha, not to add an extra level of Kedusha? And I think that we can learn one lesson from both of these topics in our Parsha. And that is that Hashem is giving over to us this message, this midah of not being bare minimum Jews. That Hashem is saying sometimes the extra is part of being sufficient. That in order to properly carry out what you are meant to do, you have to go above and beyond. That it's not about just scraping by. As the as the Sforno told us, it wasn't that the Mishkan would not have been built if there was not these extra materials given. It would have been built. But it would have been just so and just so, exactly what it needed to be. But they gave extra. And that extra became what made it sufficient. So too with Shabbos. By Shabbos, yes, there is a basic level of Kedushan. Within that is Kedush and Havdalah. But no, Hashem is saying those things are extra. Those things add an extra level of Kedusha. But we are going to consider that part of the basic, part of every single Shabbos, that going above and beyond, creating a higher level of Kedusha is going to be part of our basic observance of Shabbos. Hashem doesn't want us to just scrape by. Hashem wants us to live a life that is above and beyond. We see another famous example of this. I wish it was a Purim example, but it's not. It's a it's a not a Pesach example either. It is a Hanukkah example. And although we are past Hanukkah, I believe that the lesson that we can learn from this example strengthens our point. The Gemara Masach Shabbos tells us, Tanu Rabbanan, mitzvah Hanukkah ner ishubito. The mitzvah of Hanukkah is that a person, a household should light one candle. Vihamehadrin, and the higher level, Every person should light one candle. But the highest level, the beautiful upon beautiful. Bishamai tells us that no, every person in the house should light eight candles. On the first day, light eight candles, and then you count down after that. On the first day, you should light one. From then on, you should add one each day. The question is asked, why do we have to observe, and we know everyone observes in this mitzvah, everyone observes the mehadrim and a mehadrim. So the question is asked, why here are we given a basic, a mahadrin, and a mahadrin min a mahadrin. This is not typically the way that we are taught about mitzvah. We are usually given a mitzvah and maybe a mahadrin level. Mahadrin min a mahadrin, that's very rare. And the Beis Halevi answers and says, this is keneged the 
nis that happened. What does that mean? The entire nis of Hanukkah only came about because Ben Israel were performing a mitzvah minamahadrin. What was that mitzvah minamahadrin that Ben Israel were performing? There was no set amount or thickness of wicks that they had to use in the, in the menorah. They were able to use just one tiny wick, or they were able to create wicks as thick as they desired. But B'nai Israel did not settle. They did not want to light one skimpy little wick. Rather, they would always create these nice, thick wicks. And they would light the menorah in the mahadrim in a mahadrim way. They would light it in the most beautiful way, where it would use a lot of oil, but it would stay lit for such a long time, and it would look so beautiful. So every time they lit the menorah, they lit with these beautiful thick wicks. And now here they are. They have just come and they have re-entered the Besamekdash. And they find the one little Pach Hashemen. You would have thought that this was an instance in which they would say, okay, we're going to cut down, we'll separate the wicks, we'll use one tiny little wick, and we'll light with that. Because that, that's what we need to do. That's the bare minimum. But no. They said, you know what? We are going to light this in the proper way. We are going to light in the Mahajram in a Mahajram. We are going to do this in the best possible way. And Hashem repaid them for doing this mitzvah in a Mahajram, for always being mocked, to go above and beyond, to do more than is necessary, to not being willing to just scrape by. Hashem repaid them with a niece that was Mahadrim in a Mahadrim. That Hashem repaid us, and therefore we recognize this each year, and we light our menorahs in the Mahadrim Minha Mahadrim way. However, the Sfas Emes asks another question. And the Sfas Emes says, really, why could they not have cut down the wicks? You would have thought, okay, they thought at this point that they were only going to have oil that would last them one day. Wouldn't you say that it's better to make the wicks smaller? in order that they should be able to at least have the menorah lit for longer. And the Sfas brings a Gemara that says that the Ner Hama'aravi, the most Western candle of the menorah, stayed lit much longer than the other Nerus. Why was that? The Gemara tells us that it served as a testimony to everyone in the world that the Shechina rested among Kali Yisrael. The Bnei Israel used to light each of the wicks. Each was equal, but this one, the Ner Hamaravi, this one would stay lit longer as testimony that the Shechina was resting there. But the Sfasemis asks and says, in truth, no one in the world could see the Ner Hamaravi except for the Kohanim who were doing the Avodah. It's not like the outside world had windows into the area where the menorah was in order to see that it had stayed lit. So what is this testimony? It's only to the Kohanim who are doing the Avodah. So what exactly is it testifying? And the answer is, says this Fas MS, that the very fact that B'nai Israel were privy to their own private niece in and of itself is testimony to the fact that they enjoy a special relationship with Hashem that the other nations do not have. That yes, what was the testimony? The testimony was the fact that Hashem performed our own private miracle with us. That no one else could see that this miracle had happened. Only we could see that this miracle had happened. Only we could see that Hashem rested there with us. And this was a testimony even more so to the fact that Hashem rested there with us. So we were not going to sacrifice on this mace that always would occur by creating a smaller wick to possibly messing with this amazing relationship that we have with Hashem to this open sign and this open miracle that Hashem is there with us. We, of course, were going to light with these beautiful thick wicks in order to to reestablish this private relationship with Hashem that was established in the Mikdash.
And I think that this is the key. This adds the extra layer to the point that we made before. And that is, why does Hashem want us to not live at the bare minimum, to not just scrape by? Why should we learn this lesson of going above and beyond? Because of this private, intimate relationship that we have with Hashem. Think about it. If a person on the street asks you for a donation, and you have the ability, and you have cash on you, you'll give them exactly what they asked for, okay? They said that they need a dollar to buy food, you'll give them a dollar to buy food. However, if your brother came to you and said, I need a donation, I need a dollar to buy food, there is no way you would send your brother away with one dollar to buy food. You would buy him a meal, you would help work with him. Why should he need to go around and ask you for donations for meals? You would work with him. You would give him so much more than what he asked for. Let's say someone you're walking out of a building and you want to hold the door for someone. If it's a random person, you hold the door open and you move along. If it was your grandmother, you wouldn't just hold the door open and walk on, leave them to get in on their own. No, you would open the door. You would open the next door if there was one. You would walk them in. You would hold their hand. You would make sure that they were taken care of. And the same is true here with Hashem. That Hashem is showing us it's important. We are close. We're in this relationship together. And therefore, we want to give to Hashem. We want to go above and beyond. Just as in the Nis Hanukkah, when Bnei Israel went above and beyond, Hashem repaid them with a niece that went above and beyond. We are meant to give a little bit extra to Hashem because we are in that close relationship with Hashem. The Gemara in Masech HaShavis tells us, Zetanya, Zekeli van Vehu, it quotes the Pasuk from Shirat Hayam, when they are at the Yamsuf, and it says, Zekeli van Vehu. Rashi comments there and says, what is Zekeli? Whenever it says Ze, it means that you can point to it by etzba. You are able to point to it with your finger. That any time something is so tangible, it is directly there in front of you, it says Ze. And the same was true with Hashem's presence at this is our God, and we will glorify him. We will adorn him. Hatanya. But the Gemara tells us we learn something from here. Hatanya lefanav b'mitzvah This teaches us a positive commandment. Sukkah na'eh. To build a beautiful sukkah. V'lulav na'eh. To have a beautiful sukkah. To have a beautiful lulav. U'shofar na'eh. To blow a beautiful shofar. Tzitzis na'eh. To have beautiful tzitzis, sefer Torah, not to have a beautiful sefer Torah. The kotevo, when we write the sefer Torah, we should use the finest of materials. Why is this? Because when it comes to a close relationship, when it comes to our relationship as Am Yisrael with our Creator, with the Ribono Shalom, we don't want to scrape by. We don't want to do the bare minimum. We want to go above and beyond. We want to give so much more. We don't want to just shake the lulav. We want to shake a beautiful lulav. We don't just want to build the sukkah. We have a mitzvah of hidr mitzvah that we want to glorify the mitzvah. We want to beautify the mitzvah. We want to give that extra little bit. We want to go above and beyond. To finish out, based on the first discussion that we have of the hamalacha diyam, the malacha was sufficient in the mishkan, vehotar, and there was extra. The midrach lekach tov comments here and says, vehotar, milamid, shebechomakom shigishbo bracha, Yishbo hotara. In any place that there is bracha, that there is blessing, there is hotara. There is excess. It quotes from a pasuk in Divrei Hayam in Bet. In Divrei Hayam in Bet, it is talking about 
the in the time of Azariahu Hakohen, Vayomer Elav Azariahu Hakohen, Harush will be tzaddok. Vayomer mehachel hatruma lavi beis Hashem, echol v'sova v'hutar av larov ki Hashem birich et amo v'hanutar et hamon hazeh. It is in the time of Azariahu Hakohen, and he says, from the moment that we began bringing truma, that we brought it to beis Hashem, echol v'sova v'hutar. There has been an excess of food av larov. Um, because Hashem blessed his people. So this is where the Midrash gets. In any place where it tells us that Hashem has blessed us, you can find excess there. And I want to reverse it. I want to say, whenever we see that excess, whenever we see the extra, there is a blessing that I believe that we can glean from this week's parsha, the Midah, of going above and beyond, of going that extra mile. And we recognize that whenever there is this excess, whenever we are willing to put in extra, there is going to be bracha. When we give more, Hashem is going to repay us with more. So Amir Hashem, may we be able to bring ourselves to go above and beyond, to go that extra mile, to recognize when there is an opportunity to scrape by and when there is an opportunity to go beyond that, to do more, to bring more, to give more to Hashem. And we will be able to always go that extra mile and see the bracha that will come from it.